If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This month, we're really diving into archery and some of the nuances to being a consistently successful bow hunter. When I think back about bow hunts, especially ones where I either missed or made a less than ideal shot, I'm going to say that the overwhelming majority was due to an animal jumping the string, meaning that the animal moved at the shot and was no longer standing where I was aiming. I have a long list of stories from bad jumps that caused misses I honestly will never forget. There are ways, though, that you can hedge your bet and pick the perfect spot to minimize that margin of error. Being able to read the jump is huge. So on this week's podcast, we're going to look at the mechanics of a string jump, and we're going to consider ways to anticipate it. I'll also break down the most likely movements per species to pick the best shot possible. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a hunt that really got the jump on me. Well, I can't believe it's almost already August, and that always gets me thinking about early season archery mule deer hunting with a bow. It's one of my favorite hunts, primarily because of the challenge. Now, a few years back, I had a particular hunt where I was in a new unit, which happens a lot, but I was in a new unit, and I was stalking in. I found a good buck, stalking in on the buck, and I get into position, it was a classic spot stock, deer bedded, sneak in, high sage, everything you want out of a mule deer hunt. So I sneak in, I get into position, and I just am waiting for this buck to stand, waiting, waiting, waiting. It's actually toward the evening time, so I think this is going to be perfect. They're going to start feeding. Once that evening hits, everything is right. I'm literally in my head taking a picture with this nice four-point buck. Buck stands up, starts feeding. Everything seems calm. Everything seems perfect. I draw back, anchor, release the arrow, and the buck runs away pretty much unscathed. Now, I actually hit 
the the arrow hit the buck's back, but not, I mean, like cut the skin, maybe some hair, and that was it. The buck ran out to about 120 yards, looked around, all the other deer jumped up, like all panicked, and then they just went back to feeding. It was a, a miss for sure. And I just was like, I don't know how I messed that up so bad. So fast forward to a little bit later on in the hunt. And it was just like everything that could go wrong happened to go wrong. There was a, a big buck. I couldn't get in on the big deer. Like the stock didn't pan out. I probably was actually just impatient on that stock. I like lost the good buck and tried to move in at the wrong time. It was just, it was like just everything. I kept making little mistakes. And then anytime that I would get an opportunity at a deer, the deer would jump the string. However, I'm telling you they jumped the string, but I did not know that that's what was going on at this point. So I happened to be filming and I, it's getting toward the end and I sneak in on this buck. I think I was sneaking in on actually a different buck. And this three point comes like through the brush as I'm sneaking in on this other buck. I'm thinking, okay, well, this is as good as it's going to get. I've got, I'm like self-filming. I get the camera set up. He's like 30 yards maybe. I put the pin right where I want to hit him. Like aim for a double lung shot, shoot and miss the deer. And at this point I am just like, it's been a week of hunting. I'm extremely frustrated. It just seems like nothing is going right. I'm like, I cannot figure out how I miss this buck. So I actually go, I sit down. I'm like, okay, I just got to see what's going on. And I watch the video. And I'm like, okay, I missed the deer. I shot over his back. It just didn't make any sense. And so I put it in slow motion. I actually went frame by frame by frame. And I took a, like I picked up a stick and put it where I should be aiming. It went frame by frame by frame by frame. And at 30 yards, that buck ducked underneath the point of impact. So it jumped so fast that I actually couldn't even perceive it with my eye or even watching the video back. It just looked like I missed. And now what that really showed me is, okay, there's a few things wrong. First, that deer knew I was there. So I didn't really anticipate the jump. I just aimed for the shot. Also didn't know how fast they can move at that yardage. And I also think that the bow I was using at that time was particularly loud and it caused unnecessary jumps like on that buck that was just feeding and had no knowledge of me being there. He jumped the string for sure and caused me to, the, essentially the deer wasn't there when my arrow got there. When I think about hunts where I have come home unsuccessful or have some kind of like missed opportunity, primarily it's because they've jumped the string and it is a, a hard thing to combat. But there are some things that I've learned over the years we can do to minimize that margin of error really. I will tell this brief story because I think it's funny. And I might, I maybe I've told this before. I, it's funny because I'll, I'll start with all the Q and A's and whatever. Sometimes I forget what stories I've told. So I turn into like the grandpa of hunting stories where I just tell the same hunting story over and over. But this one's worth repeating now because we're talking about string jumps and it's, it's definitely one that's etched into my mind. Well, and I know I, I've told this story before, but I, I want to talk about it again because you know, sometimes you you go to anticipate. I, I want to talk about both like, yes, you need to anticipate the shot. Well, I guess I should finish my Nevada story. I'm getting all sidetracked here. Nevada story, back in it. I ended up killing a buck. The last day I actually left, went back, came back for like a day hunt in between another hunt and found a deer on a water hole, snuck in, drew back 
and this time anticipated the jump and shot the buck. It hit a little bit further. It actually, it definitely jumped. It hit a little further back than I would have liked, but we're talking a few inches. I watched the deer fall over in sight. And finally, I was like, all right, I can fill this tag. And <laughs> Good riddance to this season that we're just, everything seemed to be going wrong. And them jumping the string was the primary reason for my failure up until that point. Now, I was going to tell this story about an axis deer that jumped the string last season because I'd never seen this actually happen. Now, I've seen a lot of string jumps, right? So I sneak in on this axis buck. I'm just going to abbreviate this particular story, but I was hunting with the mouth tab. A giant axis deer uh, is bedded. I crawl in, and I'm just waiting for him to move. So I'm laying there motionless, and this little doe and fawn come and walk like on the trail right to me. They walk within feet of me and I just am frozen. Well, he saw it's during the rut. He sees that doe and is like, oh, I'm going to go investigate. Perfect. I've got everything set up just right. He's walking down this gully. I'd ranged everything ahead of time. Uh, he was like, I had my pins set for 30 yards and so he's coming down. Now there's a few things that were working against me. He was actually a little closer than I thought. But at this point, I'm at full draw. He's walking down. I'm trying to get him to stop. So I give him a uh, at full draw with the mouth tab in. He stops. Perfect. Well, I decided I was going to aim low, so I, I picked a spot low on his body. Hindsight, I should have aimed underneath his belly because when he ducked the string, he dropped so fast. I've never seen this before. He, it was actually a pretty good slope coming down this little draw. He dropped so fast that he actually hit the ground and started rolling down the hill. I knew that I missed, but I'm like, what is going on? Like your brain doesn't compute these things fast enough. It like hit the ground, did a couple tumbles. Like it's almost like I'd spined it and gets back up, shakes it off, looks around and just continues on after the doe. It like jumped the string so hard that it, it actually lost its footing, slipped out from underneath him and was rolling on the ground. I'd never seen that before. That's like, you, how do you anticipate that kind of jump? I mean, I would have had to be aiming two feet underneath him to actually uh, make that work. But the, that goes to say that the thing that I thought was interesting about that encounter was that animal jumped the string, and it's an animal that generally jumps the string. You can almost guarantee an axis deer is going to jump the string. It was in an area that was high pressure, a lot of there's public hunting in this particular spot. And they'd been hunted hard. So, um, and it was an old mature buck. So there's no reason that I shouldn't think that it was going to jump the string. The thing that I found interesting is I was, I was in a good position. I shot, he jumped the string, got back up, but he actually like reacted to that shot going off, but then necessarily didn't even know what was going on after that. So that's one thing that I think maybe isn't, really thought when you think of animal jumps the string there's animals that kind of don't know where you are and are unaware but that sound or whatever just causes them to do this natural reaction that's just instinctive it's like boom flee and then when they're out of that danger they just go okay they're they're back to normal it's kind of the same thing happened when i shot at that that mule deer buck that was feeding he didn't really know what went on but he jumped because he was just doing a natural fight or flight instinct this is the thing that keeps them alive wasn't thinking about ducking an arrow like didn't even probably recognize it was an arrow. It was just a, a movement that he made based off of a sound that he heard or whatever happened. And then was kind of back to normal because he didn't know what the danger was. And that to me was kind of a cool revelation of, you know, when they jump the string, sometimes 
it's just this reaction to something that, you know, it's just how they stay alive, how they stay safe. And I don't think that they know that they're jumping or ducking an arrow. It's just like a movement that they make. And so one of the things that that leads to is an almost predictable or consistent type of movement based on certain species. When we talk about anticipating the jump or the drop, there's a lot of factors involved and how they flee is one of those. So every animal is wired a little bit different. They have mechanics in the way that they moved that can kind of work as a predictor on how they're going to essentially react to that bow going off. So I think first and foremost, we got to talk about what is jumping the string because I'm throwing this term out a lot and maybe there might be people that don't understand what it is. So the term jumping the string or ducking the arrow, what happens is at the shot, whether it is some kind of sight, like flash of something moving, maybe it's you rising up to shoot and they they see the movement of the bow. Maybe it's uh, the sound of the bow going off. When you think about an arrow flight, an arrow is subsonic. So the sound of the bow going off or the sound of that arrow traveling can actually reach the animal before maybe your arrow gets there. And what happens is they react to this. So it's that flight or fight instinct and they're going, I'm gonna get out of here. And when they do that, they move in a way that it makes wherever you were aiming them not there anymore. So this can happen in a lot of ways. It's ducking the arrow for a lot of reasons because a lot of animals, they do this drop as they go to move around. It's They're loading up and charging for that powerful jump away movement. And when they do that jump away movement, that actually puts their bodies in a different position than where you were aiming for. I actually shot, and this is a long time ago, an Impala at 20, I think it was 20 yards, that knew I was there and these are animals that notoriously drop. So I did that practically aim at the ground, released the arrow and caught it in the spine. It killed it, but I was aiming so low and that at 20 yards, that animal was able to, whatever it was, see, it saw me, it knew I was there for sure, <laughs> drop the string and still impact the animal. Now, had I been holding it a vital shot, it would have been so far over his back that I wouldn't have come close. This happens with almost every animal. Now, there are some animals that just don't necessarily jump, but there are a few factors that cause these jumps. So I'm going to go over the three main factors. The first thing is they're on alert. So you blew it in some way. You alerted them to your presence. And when you think about a perfect stock, often a perfect stock is you're getting into position and they have no clue you're there. So when an animal's alerted, he's already paying attention. There's certain things that it's like, oh, they see something. Maybe they're looking directly at you. Something happened. A lot of stocks don't go off perfect. Maybe you made a little bit of a noise earlier and they kind of are on edge. They're going, hmm, what's going on? Or you drew back and they heard the sound of the draw or something of that nature, they're already on alert. So when something happens, they already have that decision to get out of there instead of investigate. Uh, another factor is they're kind of partaking in a dangerous behavior for them while you're taking the shot. So this could be something where they're, they're at a disadvantage with one of their senses. And I generally think of it as like animals going to a water hole, drinking, have a lot of animals jump, 
during this because they're focused on drinking, but this is also a time when predators naturally attack them. Or in the evening when they're feeding heavily with their head down, they know that their eyes are blocked, so they're using their ears more to detect for danger. They aren't going to second guess that decision to get out of there when they hear something because they don't have other senses that they could counteract that uh, reaction with. Sometimes it's like, ooh, they heard something. Well, if they're up and alert, they can maybe whip their head over to look, but instead they aren't, so they got to duck and flee. I've actually found a lot of jumps while an animal's feeding. You think they're more relaxed than feeding, but when their head's away and they can't, it takes too long to lift their head up to see what's going on. Sometimes they just make that initial ducking action. I've had this happen with antelope drinking out of water hole, uh, other animals drinking out of water holes, as well as a lot of mule deer and other stuff, white tails, particularly when they're just cruising and feeding. And then another main factor is their temperament. So there are certain places that the animals are just more cagey, certain species that are just more apt to jumping. I have hunted mule deer in a lot of different places. When I hunt mule deer in Nevada, if it's a mature mule deer buck and I'm in you know, dry country and it has any inkling that I'm there, it's going to jump the string. There's places where I've hunted in Montana and it's like the, the mule deer just have a different temperament and they aren't necessarily apt to jumping the string. So I don't know if it's just the amount of predation that they get, if it's the terrain, it's a little bit louder and a little bit drier, so they just use their ears more naturally. Not really sure. That could be a huge factor in it. But there are just some places where the animals have this temperament that they do jump more often. And even understanding that, like where I'm hunting, if you're in an area where, man, I've been on hunts where I wasn't expecting certain animals to jump. It's like, yeah, every animal tended to be jumping the string, so we're going to adjust for that. And then, of course, a factor that is outside of these environmental factors, the sound of your bow going off is the primary probably reason that the animal is going to duck the string or jump the string because they hear something that's off and they're just choosing that flight instinct. But when you're talking about anticipating it, sometimes that sound isn't the thing that sets them off. It's these other three factors and then the combination of that sound or movement. So when they're on alert, that's a big indicator. When they're doing something that their eyesight or something's blocked and they're distracted, but they're using their ears more to sense for danger, they're more likely to jump. And then when you're just in an area that has animals with that cagey temperament, when they you're just super flighty, it's more likely that that's going to happen. So understanding those factors and then analyzing the situation that you're in helps you anticipate whether they're going to jump. So let's just throw out an example scenario. We've stalked in on a mule deer. He was bedded. Now he got up. You're in position. He gets up and he's feeding and is completely unaware of your presence. I would say probably if it's like feeding and he's kind of looking around, doing his thing, everything seems pretty chill. I probably wouldn't necessarily say that this animal is going to jump. He's content. Nothing's wrong. Like doesn't know you're there. Cool. Let's say we have that same scenario. We drop down, we roll the rock and that buck kind of got up out of his bed is looking around and then starts to feed. Well, I would say that he kind of is alerted of your presence. And now maybe I'm going to draw back when his head's down and I'm probably going to opt to take that shot while he's feeding. But I'm going to anticipate that I would say 99% of the time now this buck is going to jump because he was alerted to my presence. He was a little put off by something. Now he didn't 
see me, didn't figure it out, went back to feeding. It's offering me a shot. His head's down. I'm completely concealed out of eyesight. I let that arrow fly. Well, he's going to hear a sound related to previous potential danger, and he's going to bounce, try to just get out of there. And so what I would do on that shot, I would choose a different aiming point based off of the anticipation that he's going to jump. I would aim lower, and I would hope that during that jump, I would catch the vitals that I want to hit as opposed to miss those vitals. And so that's what we're talking about, anticipating the jump. When we can anticipate the jump, what we're doing is we're hedging our bet that when he jumps, my margin of error for missing becomes a lot smaller. So there are a few factors that I like to consider when we talk about anticipating the jump and picking a good aiming point. So there's a few philosophies here, right? There's a lot of things that come into play. What's their their body position? You know, how apt they are to jump, how far they are from you, and a lot of other things. But I think one of the things that maybe gets glanced over is the way that they tend to jump based off of the mechanics of the species. Like I said, with the axis deer, it had no clue I was there, but it did hear my mouth, loud mouth tab bow go off. And it was in an area where they just are extra cagey and it jumped the string. I was anticipating the jump, but it extremely jumped the string. It was faster than I could have imagined. So understanding the way that something might jump will allow you to anticipate that jump and aim appropriately. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to catch the vitals based off that anticipated movement. So I'm just going to go through a few of the species and the way that I feel like they're designed to escape danger based off of their particular movement patterns. And this is just from things that I've seen over the years. It can be fairly anecdotal, but I think that there's also some body movement mechanic science behind it because a lot of different animals react differently. So mule deer, I feel like a mule deer is more of a drop down and spring forward. And that makes a lot of sense because they stoat to get away from danger. They load up, they drop down, they put a lot of force going down into all four legs so they can bound away. And so that causes them to do this drop and jump method. What I'm anticipating with that and the way that I try to counteract that is with mule deer, I particularly try to aim low. Now, there's two schools of thought here. Aim for where you think the vitals are going to be, or and that might mean being off target. So it might be aiming below something. One thing I don't like to do is aim for a non-kill shot because there are times where the animal doesn't jump, and that's the worst. So I try to hedge my bets. I try to balance the difference between anticipating the jump, picking a, a kill shot, that could lead to another kill shot, if that makes sense. And this is, you think like, well, why don't you do this all the time? And there's a reason for that is because if you don't think the animal is going to jump, there's no indication that it will and it doesn't, your margin for error for making that perfect shot is lower when you're aiming at a spot that's less likely. So let's just talk about a meal deer. I'm in position. I think he might jump. My aim point is now going to be the bottom of the heart. If I don't think he's going to jump, my aim point will probably be the center of the lungs. There are some animals that I always just aim low in certain places. Like they just get in the habit of aiming low. Now the trouble with that aiming low shot is you can miss low. You could be a little bit off. And instead of hitting the bottom of the heart, you could hit below the heart, which is kind of more like a gut shot, especially on elk. And this is a shot that I see a lot on elk through guiding. It's one that guys are like, I smoked him in the heart. And you're like, nope, you actually gut shot him because it was below the heart and he was slightly quartered to or whatever. 
is a shot that happens a lot. And I think that those animals don't get recovered as often because the, the trailing afterwards is kind of in haste or they think it should be dead and then it, they push it and bad things happen. But one of the things that I try to think about is if I think it's going to jump, I'm going to aim lower, but I don't want to aim off or aim for a bad shot because what if he doesn't? And that does happen. I talked about it in a few podcasts back when we were talking about arrows. And so the worst thing is when you're anticipating something and it doesn't happen. Now, it's great if everything works out, but I don't always aim for those anticipated jumps or drops. I often do, but I don't always because the margin of error is a lot lower in those places. If you're a little bit low or you misranged a little bit, now you're talking about a miss in the other direction. So what we're trying to do is counteract that now dropping by aiming low on the target, but still catching the top of the lungs or some of the lungs. And that's the hope. Um, you say like, ooh, I don't, I like to be more precise and hope, but you really have to kind of play the odds in many ways when it comes to bow hunting. You're playing the odds that what you're thinking is going to be correct. And then you're anticipating that where you're aiming caught, catches the reaction that they're nat of their natural flea. So when I talk about mule deer, I, I like to aim low. And I also like to aim pretty tight in the shoulder because I feel like that that drop and then that bounce forward, it's, it's kind of the same motion. So if I'm tight into the shoulder, if he doesn't move, I'm still getting a kill shot. But if he does, I'm not into the guts, but I might be like back of the lung or liver. So that's the shot that I like to take on mule deer. When it comes to whitetail, I think that a whitetail does a lot of drop from the front and spin away. Think about the way a whitetail gets away from danger as opposed to a mule deer. They run. It's more of a trot. So they're they're running away, and that quick spinning motion allows them to get that power to lunge forward to run away. So it's like they, they spin toward the rear. They spin away from where they're going when they hear that bow go off. For that reason, I mean, an aim point back and a little bit lower is good because you're going to catch that that motion of that spinning away. Uh, if you're aimed right in the shoulder, like in a mule deer, it's going to be the opposite effect because now you're going to hit them. Like you're either going to miss or you're going to hit them in the shoulder and not have as much vital. But if you aim a little bit further back and lower, you're going to catch that kind of quartered away movement and you've got a great kill shot. Elk is interesting because I actually have missed an elk that has ducked the string at close range, but I do not see it very often. And it sometimes probably depends on the situation, right? There's been some elk that I think I can actually think of two elk that have done it and it wasn't that far away. Uh, both were shooting downhill. Both knew I was there and both I missed. And what had happened was they essentially kind of, when an elk drops or ducks the string, they drop kind of straight down. They do this like, it's almost more of like a roll away where their their belly comes up and they, they drop down. Uh, I've, I've seen it quite a bit, but I think that most of the time your arrow catches, because it's such a big target, your arrow, arrow catches them before anything happens. And elk's lungs tend to be a little bit, it feels like higher and further back than some other animals. So you're still getting a good kill shot on them. I would say like for elk, I mostly just split the distance and try for that kind of center shot. If I think that the animal is going to jump lunge uh, or duck, I, I aim maybe a little slightly lower. The nice thing about elk is a heart shot is a, a good size target. So you can always aim for like center of the heart, top of the heart, and still probably catch the elk if i know for sure he's gonna duck then i'm gonna aim 
specifically for the heart. And, you know, for most of this, it's very similar. It's like you're aiming low. So that's one of the things to consider is when in doubt, you can pick that heart shot, aim low, and you should be good. But there are those factors where the way that they move can make a difference between a quick and easy blood trail or a blood trail that takes a lot longer and has you sweating bullets. My elk actually last year, I knew that he knew something was up and I picked that kind of center mass shot. I knew I didn't want to hit him in the shoulder, but I also knew that I didn't want to not kill this bull. And so I also didn't necessarily know the distance exactly. And so I didn't want too much, aim too low, misguess it, and then hit in that kind of low, low no zone. And I also didn't want to aim too high and misguess it and hit that upper, like upper back strap area, the no zone there. And so I, I kind of just picked that center shot and I don't know if it ducked, but I would assume that he probably did because I had another bull duck in that area before. And so, or earlier in that season, so or very close by, I guess. And so one thing I was anticipating that and just picked that kind of center, I would say it would be like the top of the heart, kind of center of the lungs, a very consistent shot and maybe a little bit further from the shoulder. A lot of elk get shot further back than they should, but that's probably because I think people air away from the shoulder blade because that's definitely hit the shoulder on a bull with a a a certain type of bow or setup and probably just gonna be following us a blood trail for a little bit and then the bull's gone forever so that's something that you want to kind of think about when we talk about pronghorn pronghorn tend to lunge forward they are a runaway from danger animal but i've also noticed pronghorn do different things in different scenarios I think that the lunge forward starts with a drop, a short drop. My wife's pronghorn last year, I said, I told her just that, pick that spot, aim low. She did, and it was 13 yards, and it connected perfect. It was two inches. Its ability to duck caused it to drop two inches in 13 yards. And she made a perfect shot, perfect double lung shot. Couldn't have put that arrow in a better spot if you had it standing there and you could walk up and stick it wherever you wanted. But I will say at different yardages, antelope do different things. So I tend to find that at further distance, they often do this lunge forward. When they're drinking, sometimes they actually do more of a spin or or turn two, especially if they're already quartered two. Uh, I've seen that happen quite often with, with drinking pronghorn. But for the most part, I tend to air into the shoulder a bit on pronghorn because I know that they're a little bit more light skin with my setup. I can break through the shoulder blade. And if they do do that jumper lunge, then I've caught the lungs and that's as good as it gets. So that's the way that I happen to choose to aim on pronghorn. Now, one thing to talk about as well is, you know, their position at the shot, if they're quartered two more, the movement might be a little bit different. I have had pronghorn at further distances. Maybe they're not perfectly broadside or pretty broadside. And at the shot, they see something and they actually turn toward it. That curiosity of their nature has caused them to turn towards some shots as well. I've, I've put an arrow right on the shoulder of a pronghorn. It was like an 85-yard shot and killed the pronghorn pretty quick, but it turned toward it and ended up getting a near quarter to frontal shot from broadside to a near frontal shot. But I would say if I'm going to anticipate, like it looks like it's on edge 
and it knows that I'm there. I'm within that close enough range that it's probably going to hear it or react to that arrow. I'm going to aim right in the shoulder to anticipate for that lunging of the antelope forward. When it comes to sheep, I feel like sheep and mountain goats just soak it up. <laughs> they don't drop that much. I've seen like Rocky Mountain bighorns do it a little more. For the most part, I kind of just aim where I want to. If you're one of the people with a lucky sheep tag, you know, feel it out though. If you see this animal that looks like he's nervous, they run as well and they they often run to the downhill where they can go real fast. So I would say that they're going to jump toward the downhill, whatever that is. I've seen it happen a few times. I've also seen like if you're below something, they they don't, you know, they're going away from danger wherever that is, but you're probably going to be approaching from above and that downhill route is their just natural instinct to run that way. So if you were to anticipate, I would anticipate them jumping toward the downhill side. Caribou, if you happen to be caribou hunting, they almost turn toward it in some ways. Also kind of curious and they either turn toward it or run and lunge forward. I would kind of consider it the same as the pronghorn in in a lot of aspects. And there's a lot of similarities in the way that they are socially as well as the way that they move, not as fast, but they definitely have some of the similar tendencies and things that they do. And so I kind of see caribou and pronghorn a lot in the same way. So those are some of the things that you think about per species, which I thought was good to talk about. Now, one of the things that we're going to dive into now, we've got all this information, what causes them to jump, ways to anticipate it. Now, what's this thought process as we're at full draw? So we sneak in on an animal and we pull back. We've got our sight pin on where we want to shoot. And the first question, and these are things that you're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through. These are like six questions that should happen pretty fast, right? First thing is maybe this is even before you draw back will they jump is it a yes or is it a no if it's a yes or a maybe then you're going to probably want to hedge your bet you're going to want to go and pick that spot based off of the information that we have so we're going to say maybe or yes right i don't know what happened maybe it's an area where they're already jumping maybe you didn't make the best approach and you saw him kind of whip his head back earlier in the stock or maybe you're at full draw and he's got you pegged either any of those scenarios we're going to say yep we're going to anticipate the drop so now we we ask ourselves what's his body position is he broadside is he quartered two is he quartered away when you think about a deer and a good shot we always want those broadside shots those quartering away shots those are the best shots i like i prefer quartering away if i can take it it's like it's hard to go wrong if you you can err in the side of back and you're always going to kill that animal or get good vitals Broadside's great because it, everything's stacked up right. Quartering two, pretty tough shot. But if he's broadside or quartering away and we're anticipating a jump, he's not going to be those things probably when you release that arrow. So he might be, but just in a different position. So he might be lower. Odds are he might be quartering into a different position. So what is his body position now? If he's quartering to you and it's a white tail, he's got me pegged. He's going to turn and go. I'd put that arrow right in on that shoulder because I'm expecting him to drop and turn away. So I'm going to go low and on the shoulder. Maybe he's already broadside, but I'm going to aim a little bit back and a little bit low. Same thing with a a mule deer buck. I'm going to go, okay, what's his body position and and how is he going to move mechanically? So number three is like, what's the movement that this animal is going to take based on species, but also based on their body position and leg position. One thing that I always consider is how... So think about the way that particular species moves and how their body's set up when that shot's going off. If their onside leg is back, okay, let's say it's an elk, his onside leg is back, 
well, he's probably going to drop down, and that'll actually swing it forward and open it up a bit. Is already protecting, but maybe he's feeding. Maybe it's an animal that's feeding. You're anticipating he's going to drop, but his onside leg is forward. What's going to happen is he's going to swing that leg back, and that's going to put that shoulder blade in a bad position now. So I might just say, okay, because of that, the drop and that movement in the shoulder, I'm actually going to err on a little bit further back than where it looks like from this shot right now because when that leg's forward it makes it look like oh the vitals are up in here when really when he moves and drops you're going to need to be quite a bit further back to prevent from hitting that shoulder so i'm i'm doing all these things real fast but i'm calculating okay the type of animal what's their body mechanic what's the way that they move what's the way that they run away and then how is he positioned before that shot now the other thing that we're factoring in here is the distance and the effect of that i actually had a buck jump. It was a mule deer buck. I was in this big sage flat, crawled in. This was at the time probably the furthest deer I'd shot. I think he was like 70 yards. And he had no clue I was there. I draw back, shoot. This was a lot longer ago where arrows were a little bit slower. He ducked the string, came back up and made a perfect shot. Like he was back into his original position. He just like dropped and popped back up. And I watched the buck fall over dead 20 yards away from where he was standing. But that doesn't happen very often, so or ever. That was the only time that's happened. So one of the things that we're thinking about is the distance and the effect of that. At a further distance, they might be less likely to jump the string. At a closer distance, they have less time to move for that jump. So how much we're aiming to factor in for the jump might depend on the distance and the yardage as well as how bad they're going to react to that sound might also be a factor of distance. So if he knows you're there, or maybe doesn't know you're there, but knew that you were coming and you're close, he's probably more likely to jump than if it was the same scenario, but he's a little bit further away. Now, as he gets further away, the amount that he's moving based on the time that your arrow takes to get there is greater. So as you're closer, you need to adjust less. As you're further, you might need to adjust more. Now, number five, we're going to just think about the best aim point to hedge that bet. So based off of the movement and the distance, where should we aim? Where do we anticipate that animal being? I was hunting axis deer a couple years back and this buck knew I was there. I essentially aimed in front of his shoulder because I knew that he was just going to just be out of there. He was going to duck and lunge. And I shot that buck perfect. And it was one of those where I rarely aim off the animal, but that one I just knew basically it was like 35 yards and I thought there's no way that this arrow is going to be there by the time that buck gets there. And it worked and it connected. So... I think that sometimes you just have to decide, okay, what's the best aim point to hedge your bet? And I would say, though, majority of the time, my personal philosophy is I aim to kill. It's very hard to aim off the animal. It's very hard to, to trust the anticipation that much where I want to aim where I think that if he didn't jump, I would have a missed shot or a bad shot. I don't like to do that. There are times where I know, he is going to jump and there's not a lot of room. Like there's more room for error this way. So like, even if he doesn't jump a lot, if he jumps a little, I'm still good. And so those are those aim low shots. Those are those, you know, hedging the bet and saying like, all right, I think here is much, how much he's going to jump. I'm going to aim for this. I'm going to take that lower percentage margin of error. I, I'm going to put it right there. If he doesn't jump, I still, if I make the shot perfect, I kill him. And if he jumps a little bit or a lot of it, will still connect and then you adjust from there i kind of think of it as a shoot 
for win and winish <laughs> instead of win-win. So you shoot for the win if he ducks and it's like a winish. It's it's better than it would be if you didn't aim in that particular spot and it's still a kill. So the, that's what we're looking for is like those shots where when we release the arrow, we're expecting to make a good ethical kill. And that's kind of part of this anticipation of sometimes you you need to anticipate that movement to make that ethical kill. Now, there are times where the jump is just greater than the margin of error. There are times where I've anticipated jump or I'm in an area where they just are particularly jumpy. I don't actually anticipate it by going, I'm going to aim low. I'm going to put it on the heart. I'm going to shoot for the win. And if he ducks, I'll, I'll catch something else. And I do that and the arrow sails over their back. And I go, damn it. I probably should have aimed lower, but there was no indication that I should have. And you, in, when I'm beat those times, it's like, I just kind of tip of the hat. Here you go, Buck, because you deserved that one. You, I tried to anticipate you. You outbested me. There's nothing really you can do. Those kind of misses suck, but they're misses of being like, look, it's out of my control. And that's just one of the things that you have to consider. You know, knowing these things and understanding what we've been talking about really are designed to prevent bad shots. And when you really get a lot of practice with it or you're in an area where it's like, man, these animals are jumping and, and you understand, okay, this is how I aim for this particular species when maybe you're, you hunt the same place all the time. It's like these white tails, they jump all the time. Or maybe you think back to the animals that you've recently shot and you go, oh, I shot that one high, you know, whatever. Maybe you understand like, okay, there's something in here where I need to change my aim point and be more consistent about this margin of error where I go, okay, I think that I'm having a lot of animals jump. Maybe it's your setup. Maybe it's your stock. Maybe it's just the animals in particular. So choose to aim lower, choose to pick a different spot, choose to anticipate that kind of mechanical movement that a lot of animals make. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I think that there's a lot of this stuff that, you know, you start to catch on to these things after years of doing it and you go, okay, this is how I become better. And at some point it just almost becomes automatic where a lot of these things, it seems like a step and all these things to consider. And it, it becomes in the moment, you can kind of make this, this right shot based on the scenario right away so it becomes pretty fluid and the better you get at it the more tags you feel like the more you're able to be consistently successful that's the thing about this podcast i try to teach people how to be consistently successful and i find that it's all the little things that add up you can you can go out and fill a bow tag but to be able to do it in a new place or consistently year after year tag after tag it involves understanding a lot of very small, minute details, especially when it comes to bow hunting. And when you start to understand those things, a lot of these things are things that it took me a while to even piece together. It was like, whoa, I didn't realize that this is what was happening or this is why I missed or this is what was going on. And as I start to analyze those things over the years, I become a lot more proficient. When I get that one opportunity, I make good on that opportunity because sometimes you hunt your butt off for an entire week or more or, or whatever it is, however much time you got. Maybe it's a weekend, maybe it's a week, whatever it is. And when you get that opportunity, you need to make that opportunity count. It means making the good shot and then being able to recover the animal and understanding all the little things adds up to that success. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast because I really try to dive into those little things that maybe people don't think about to find that consistent success. Uh, one of the things, 
you know, company that we work with, Stone Glacier, incredible company. They make some of the best packs out there. They make the best packs out there, in my opinion. I've tried a lot of different stuff. I absolutely love all their products, but they also do a lot of awesome things to help out people as well. I think one of the things that we've talked about, this is just for a very few people, but I've talked about the journey that I've gone through with a mouth tab, having an injury, uh, needing to shoot a bow with a mouth tab. And I, I kind of found the pinch point as being one of the hard things about it was just making the tabs. I'm not great at sewing. I don't have a sewing machine. There's a lot of different options, leather, this, that, and the other thing. There's nowhere that I could find where you could just buy a mouth tab. So I was telling the guys at Stone Glacier about this. I did a little bit of how-to video. For those of you, if you've run into an injury, or you know somebody that has some kind of disability where they can only use one hand, either permanent or temporary, I just kind of made this video for them. It's not a video where I'm like, hey, this is for everyone, but this is for certain people because I got asked a lot. There's a lot of inquiry about it. And so I was talking to Stone Glacier and they're like, hey, we'll make some of those tabs for you. Just send us the one that you made and we're going to make them and then we'll give them to people that need them for free. And I was like, they just pay the shipping. We'll give them one to get started. I was like, that is, that is all. That's the kind of people that work there. That's the kind of people they love hunting. They love helping hunters out. Just an incredible company. So if you're a guy that needs a mouth tab, that's where you can get one. You can get the same one that I use. And this is one that I just made. I'm holding it here while I'm talking about it. But so I don't know if that's just something, if that's you know that that's available to you. And there's a, a video on my YouTube channel uh, talking about how to set up your bow for a mouth tab and, and things to think about when you're shooting. So I hope for those of you that need it, that helps. One of the other things that I think Stone Glacier does really well is that lightweight and then just so much utility out of every product. One of the products that they have now this year is the Sky Tarp 10. It's essentially like think about it as you can use it as a tent so you could just pitch it with your trekking poles it is a very basic shelter so this would be like early season emergency shelter but you can also use it like early season what i'm going to use it for is glassing in the sun is a sunshade the sun will beat you down on those early season mule deer hunts and glassing in trying to find the right shade because you're trying to glass essentially into the sun you just get baked um, but being able to set this up, I've already done it while scouting, being able to set up the sky tarp, I'll use it like while scouting as a sun shelter, used it in the back country as like a temporary rain shelter. How many times are you out there packed in somewhere, getting all your rain gear out can be a hassle, or you're just going to sit underneath it while it's raining in glass. And then you can use it also like on an early season hunt as a tent itself, as a, as a little extra shelter or just maybe you're you've set up a base camp somewhere and you want something to cover your your cooking area or, or whatever you've got super versatile i think it only weighs well, 13 and a half ounces i mean it's like part of my lunch you know it's nothing and it's the amount of uses you can get out of it glassing shelter camping whatever you've got i think it's an awesome awesome product so something to think about you're doing like a hunt like that or you're like hey what's something that I need that I maybe I'm not thinking about do I've used these things in so many different scenarios and they just every time I'm like really glad I carried that so something to think about they've got them I see they're available right now so you can go there you can always use code live wild with anything stone glacier you'll get free shipping and if, I've got a on my website there's a link to a page on their site that has some of my favorite stuff so if you're like oh what pack does Remy use or whatever 
got it listed out there. So make it easier for you guys. Thank you all so much. Appreciate everybody listening. Thank you guys. A lot of great comments on this archery series. Next week, we are diving into some serious mule deer tactics. I think this is this is a must-listen-to podcast. If you are considering bow hunting mule deer, you have to listen to this. It, it really breaks down that mule deer stock with a great friend of mine, Nate Simmons. You're really going to enjoy this podcast. And I think it's one, it's a must-listen to. It kind of wraps a lot of things up. And we're going into archery mule deer season. If you got an early season mule deer hunt with a bow, and you don't listen to this this next week's podcast, you are going to come back and you're going to be like, dang it, I should have listened to that podcast. Uh, it's definitely a good one to listen to once or twice. I really, really enjoy it. So I think you guys will like that. And then we're going to dive into elk week. So if you got elk hunting questions, start elk hunting question pops in, write it down. We're going to be doing a Q&A. We're going to be doing a lot of elk hunting content. And if you guys have some suggestions on things you want to know about, Send me some messages, social media, at Remy Warren on pretty much everything, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Actually, even TikTok, as much as I hate to say it. Um, you can find me on all the platforms, threads, wherever. We've got, we've got an account everywhere. Primarily, I use Instagram, though, so send me a message there. And, yeah, I appreciate you all. Thank you guys so much for the support. Feel free, drop a comment, a rating, a like, uh, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. That always helps us out. And as always, oh, also, we've got the Live Wild merch, RemyWarren.com. Might as well tell you guys about that. So if you ordered, I just want to mention this. If you ordered, uh, the last was a pre-order. So everybody that pre-ordered, it takes longer to get to you, but you're guaranteed to get some. Then whatever's left out of that will go for sale, but that will probably sell out. So the pre-order is over, but uh, if you order something, it will be shipping very soon. You should have it by the time this podcast is out or it'll be shipping right around then. And then it'll be available on the website for purchase, like purchase, ship, purchase, ship right away. But you aren't guaranteed that you'll get some because it might sell out before we uh, are able to restock it. So that's available for you guys as well. Until next week, I'm just going to say, don't get ducked. Catch you guys later. Mm-hmm.